Welcome to Grace Harvest Church's weekly podcast. For more information about Grace Harvest Church or to find out more about something you hear during the podcast, visit us online at graceharvestchurch.org. Now listen in and allow God to speak to you through this week's message. Today I'm finishing up a series we've been doing, going through the book of Philippians. That's a New Testament letter that Paul wrote to the church in the city of Philippi in what would currently be Macedonia, part of Greece. And um, today we're going to finish up. My message is content and strong and rewarded through Jesus Christ. Content, strong, and rewarded through Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes in life we have to take what's given to us, amen? We have to be content, but we have to make the most of our opportunities. And really, that's what I want to talk to you about today. And I'm reminded of a couple of stories here. You know, in a Catholic school cafeteria, a nun placed a note in front of a pile of apples. These kids were getting ready to go through the food line, and she put a note there at the beginning of the line, and it said this, only take one, God is watching. Further down the line, there was a big pile of cookies, and a little boy made another note, and his note said this, take all you want, God is watching the cookies. I'm sorry, God is watching the apples, I blew it. Or there was a woman who was taking an afternoon nap, and when she woke up from the nap, she told her husband, I just dreamed that you gave me a pearl necklace. What do you think it means? He said, you'll know tonight. That evening, the man came home with a small package and gave it to his wife. Delighted, she ripped it open to find a book entitled, The Meaning of Your Dreams. (laughs) Sometimes you just got to kind of seize the moment. You got to take what's given. You got to be content and make the most of your opportunities. And we're going to talk about contentment today. And we're going to talk about what it means to be strong in God, strong in Jesus Christ. And we're going to talk about what it means to trust that God will reward us in spite of what circumstances may look like. And as I've been telling you the last several weeks, we're studying a a letter in the New Testament written by the Apostle Paul. And it's a love letter that he wrote to a church that was very dear to him. He had started this church in Philippi somewhere between 10 and 12 years before he wrote the letter. He was in jail under house arrest when he wrote this letter. And in the scripture that we're going to read, we're going to see that Paul had great love for this church and that he wanted them to know how much he appreciated the fact that they had financially supported him, that they'd prayed for him, that they'd supported him. And he focuses on one of the greatest lessons that you and I have to learn in our walk with Jesus Christ. If we don't get this, we'll live a life of constant frustration. And that is the lesson of contentment through Jesus Christ. He shows them that by trusting in Jesus, they can be content. That they can have strength when they feel weak. And that in this life, not just in the life to come, there is reward to following Jesus Christ. So we're going to be reading from Philippians chapter 4. 
verses 10 through 23. We'll have it on the screen if you've got your own Bible and you want to follow along. You can do that as well. We're using the New Living Translation as we've been going through this particular book of the Bible. So uh, just look at the screen and let's follow along. Let's read it together. Paul says, How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Even so, you have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. As you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you the good news and then traveled on from Macedonia. No other church did this. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent help more than once. I don't say this because I want a gift from you. Rather, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. At the moment, I have all I need and more. I am generously supplied with the gifts you sent me with Epaphroditus. They are a sweet-smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from His glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Now all glory to God our Father forever and ever. Amen. Give my greetings to each of God's holy people, all who belong to Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send you their greetings, and all the rest of God's people send you greetings too, especially those in Caesar's household. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. And then the, the, the book ends right there. And what we're going to look at today is, is basically four key points that we draw from the text that really relate to where we live. And the first one is this. It's good to be supported and cared for by the people you love. Amen? You know, we live in a time when a lot of people are choosing to check out a life. They're either checking out a life emotionally or mentally, and some, unfortunately, check out even physically. Many of you probably saw a story this last week on, online. It was all over Facebook and all over different social media accounts about a pastor in Southern California who pastored a large church, beautiful family, what we would call very successful, who took his own life. And you step back and you go, what in the world is going on there? Now obviously this man struggled with depression and he had a history of depression. He'd gone through a series of losses. He'd lost his father who was very dear to him. And then he had experienced, his family had experienced being stalked. A whole lot of different things were kind of put in there, but for some reason, even though he was in the midst of a church family, even though he had community all around him, something was going on internally that even his own wife had no idea was as serious as it was, and he took his own life. And I've come to learn in my own life, if I didn't have, and I want to say this about some of you here, if I didn't have the people in my life over the years that have supported me cared for me, prayed for me, I don't know what I would do. I don't know what I would do. I, I think I probably would have quit the ministry a long time ago. 
because I've been here, this is my, I call this my 30-25 year. In November of this year, I will have been at Grace Harvest Church for 30 years as a youth pastor, associate pastor, or lead pastor, 30 years. And I've been the lead pastor here now for 25 years. And I'm telling you, and I'm, I'm not trying to do this, but I'm going to tell you something. You don't stay in ministry in the kind of role I'm in that long in one place unless you got a good support system around you and a lot of the grace of God. And Paul is, is, you know, he's echoing that. He's talking about how good it is to be supported. He's letting these people know, I, I don't know if I can express this well enough, but your support, your care, your love, your prayers, the finances that you sent me to help me do my mission, all of those things meant so much to me. And I want to say that to you as a church. Every time we you know, uh, launch out into a new venture every time we send a team overseas, every time we have a need come up in our church financially, whatever it may be, you step up and you support and you give. And any time my wife and I have walked through hard seasons and difficult times, there have been people like angels that have arrived in our life right on time with a word in season and have let us know we care for you, we love you, we're there for you. And, and it's, it's been life-changing. And some of you, you've been doing that for us for most of that 30 years. You've been a friend. You've been like family. I want to tell you something. We say this all the time. We don't have any family in the state of Washington. And most of the time we've lived here, we have never had family. We didn't have grandparents around our kids to raise them. We didn't have the support system from your actual blood family. But we did have this family. And over the years, you have loved us and cared for us, and you've loved our entire staff and cared for them. I think of all the times people have stepped up just right on time in, in one of our staff members and one of our pastor's lives and, and blessed them either financially or in some other way and, and given them the ability to continue to go on and do what they're called to do. Thank you. From my heart, thank you. And I mean that. From the bottom of my heart, thank you. It is so awesome to have a church family to walk with you through that kind of stuff. Paul says over and over again, he says, how I praise the Lord, you're concerned about me. Now, that might sound kind of uh, narcissistic. It's not narcissistic at all. He's being real. He's saying, I'm so glad somebody cares about me. Aren't you glad somebody cares about you? Yeah, and then he goes on to commend them for their giving. And I'll tell you what, it's good to be cared for. And and I want to tell you something else. If you're here and... You feel really alone because it's possible to be in a church. In fact, I, I, I find something interesting. Some people find large churches specifically so they can hide in the crowd. And some people come to churches like ours and, and your goal is to sit in the back and to hide and to not connect and to be away from people. And, and I get that at the first. Sometimes people are hurt. They're wounded from their previous place or something has taken place in their life. Our, our tendency, I don't know about you, my tendency sometimes is to isolate. Any, anybody else like that? When I go through stuff, my tendency, if I'm not careful, I can just kind of, you know, go home, get away from people, and veg in front of a TV and Netflix binge. Come on, I'm, this is sin confession time. Come on. You know, just, just the other night, I'll tell you, None of this is in my notes, but we had a game night here for our, our men at our church on Friday night. It was pretty cool. We had a ping pong table set up in here, and, 
and we had poker going on. And don't worry, those of you that are like, gambling in the church? That's wrong. Don't worry, no money was exchanged, okay? Just chill out. It was just good, fun poker with, yeah, no gambling, okay? Just relax. Uh, so we had poker, we had ping pong, we had um, cornhole, never liked the name of that game, but cornhole. Uh, what else did we have? We had chess, we had some other games. Oh, we had darts going on back here. And, I, and I, I'm being honest, I'm just confessing my sins one to another here. I did not want to come on Friday night. Friday's my day off, I had things to do, I was tired, I was chilling, I was at home. You get that, you get that way where you're just at home. It's just like, I'm a homebody right now. I don't want to go nowhere. And my wife's like, hon, you need to go. (laughs) Thank you, Holy Spirit. (laughs) Yeah, it would be really good for you. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure it would. And I came down here. I was tired. I didn't want to be here at first. But I walked in the doors. My bros are here. We started hanging out. Before you know it, we're playing ping pong and cornhole and Guys are laughing, guys are sitting around talking, and I went home two and a half hours later, and when I walked in the door, I was like, man, I'm glad I went, because I was with my bros, and I needed community, and they were life-giving. I just want to encourage you, wherever you're at in life, um, now look, if you're looking for a church where everybody's always friendly and good and right, and everyone's got their act together, and everyone's spiritual, and everyone's godly, you found the wrong place, because that ain't us. That ain't us. Just know that. But if you'll put yourself out there and even take the risk of community, and if you feel like, you know, people aren't reaching out to us enough or we're not making friendships, or can I just encourage you, a lot of people are passive in that process. They sit back and they wait for somebody from the church, from the leadership, somebody in the church to reach out to them and make a friend and bring them over to their house and feed them a meal. If that hasn't happened to you yet and you're here, can I just encourage you to do something? Step up and be the one to do the inviting. Step up and be the one to build the friendship. If you want to be, if you want friendships, make yourself friendly, right? Go for it. Can I just challenge you to do that? Listen, be mature about it. Don't be like, nobody's, nobody's reaching out to us. We're really sad. We're rejected. Stop. Come on, just be a Christian. Step up and build relationships. Take the initiative. Be the mature one. Amen. All right. Somebody's probably mad at me right now. Number two. It's essential to learn to be content in Christ. If I end up stopping on this point, that's okay, because this is really important. Look at verses 11 and 12. Not that I was ever in need, for I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. Now, here's the reality. There's some of you in here, you've walked through this, but there's most of us in this room being good Americans, good Westerners, we have never really truly experienced what it means to be hungry. And I don't mean your stomach's growling because you missed your afternoon snack. And I don't even mean that you chose to fast or you got so busy you missed a meal. I'm talking about where you don't have money to buy food. Most people in this room have never experienced that. But we have friends that are leaving to go to the Philippines in a few days, and some of the places they go, people experience that every day. We're going to, I'm going to Africa next month. We're going to Zimbabwe. We're taking a team from our region. We're going there for conferences and, and to do MFI uh, Zimbabwe. And while we're there, 
we're going to come into contact with people who eat one meal a day if they're doing okay. We're going to a land of 90% unemployment. And so there's some people there that have experienced the reality of what it means to not even have food for a meal. Now, I don't say that to put a guilt trip on us for our own prosperity and what God has done in our country, but just so that we might really grapple with the reality that most of us in this room have never truly experienced deep want and need. Some have. And you know what I'm talking about if that's you. But contentment is something that we have to learn in life through the ups and downs, successes, and failures of life. Contentment isn't something you get zapped with. You know, I've, I've learned over the years as a Christian, a lot of people want Holy Ghost magic dust on them in the areas of their life that are hard. Have you ever noticed that? That's some of the reasons why we come to receive prayer, and I believe in miracles, and I believe in instant, and I'm claiming it in your life. I'm praying God touch you, God heal you, God help you, God liberate you from addictions. But sometimes the pathway that God has for you, in fact, let me just um, edit that, Most of the time, the pathway to transformation in our lives is not the the pathway of instantaneous, it's the pathway of process. Most of us are waiting to be zapped with patience. It ain't happening, baby. Zapped with contentment. Pray over me in the prayer line that God will make me content. I will. I'll pray that. But it might take a couple decades. It'll be a very long fulfillment of that prayer. A lot of us are looking for an easy way in the Christian life. We're looking for, you know, God to just kind of do it for us. But contentment is something that must be developed through process. Paul says, I have learned. That's process. I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. Now, contentment isn't complacency. Some people feel like to be content, I'm not going to ever be content. I'm pressing on. Uh, That's different. That's complacency. Contentment can be a person pressing on to know him more, to become more like him, to fulfill his purpose. And at the same time, you're not always anxious. You're not always like bummed out, disillusioned, disappointed with life because you haven't got what you wanted yet. That's not, God doesn't want Christians to live that way. And I know a lot of Christians, they claim it's because they're pressing on, but their lives are filled with anxiety and they lack peace and they're never happy and they're always disappointed and they can't enjoy right now. They can't enjoy what's in front of them. They can't stop and smell the roses. Josiah, can I share your little story you shared with me yesterday? My son was telling me, we were talking about this very thing last night, and my son was telling me that at his workplace, they have a bunch of jet. Is it no? It was a lavender. They have a bunch of lavender outside that's growing, and he said he felt like the Lord. Uh, I'm going to say it was the Lord. He just felt like he was supposed to every day during his break time, during lunchtime, you know, slowly walk, grab some of the lavender, pick it off, kind of crush it in his hands, and just smell it, because it was like I I have to enjoy this moment. I have to enjoy what God has given me right now. Because I, I, I see this all the time, and you do as well. As a pastor, you experience, you never, ever know if right now is your last breath. You never know how long you have. Life is a gift. 
And many of us are, you know, we, we're always looking over the fence. We're always looking to the future. We're like one of the thieves, you know. We're hanging on the cross and we say to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And that thief of the future will rip you off from the present. And Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. We have to remember that right now we have, right now, At this moment in here, some of you, you're already down the road this afternoon. You're in that next appointment. You're in that lunch thing. You're already down the road this week. You're already living in tomorrow. You're borrowing from tomorrow. But what you have is now. What you have is this moment between you and I. You're listening to my voice, and this truth from the Scripture is coming to you. And can I encourage you? Can I challenge you? Seize the moment right now and live in the moment and let God talk to your life. Don't miss this moment. It's holy. Contentment includes pressing on, but you don't let the circumstances beyond your control determine your happiness. A lack of contentment comes when we start looking outside of Christ to find fulfillment and happiness in life. Paul had learned the secret. He had learned that the amount of stuff we have or the balance of our checking accounts will never fulfill our deepest human longings. He had learned that bigger and better, smaller and lesser were not what determined his state of mind. There's a real movement right now, and I get it, and it's good. I'm not saying it's wrong, but there's a movement toward minimalism and simplicity. But let me tell you what, minimalism and simplicity, it won't scratch your itch either, unless your ultimate minimalism and simplicity is in Jesus Christ. If the purpose of you eliminating stuff in your life is so so you can focus on the right things, then good for you, you're on track. But if you're just doing it because it's a trend and it's cool and you're just trying to, you know, lessen your carbon footprint, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but if that's your goal, you're going to get to it, you're going to get rid of all the stuff and you're going to find out you ain't happy, right? Because that's not what makes us content. Jesus Christ makes us content. Contentment and gratitude go together. You know, in his article, The Structure of Gratitude, New York Times columnist David Brooks notes what he's learning about thankfulness. He says this. This is interesting. I'm sometimes grumpier when I stay at a nice hotel. I have certain expectations about the service that's going to be provided. I get impatient if I have to crawl around looking for a power outlet, if the shower controls are difficult. If the place considers itself too fancy to put a coffee machine in each room. He says, I'm sometimes happier at a budget motel where my expectations are lower and where a functioning iron is a bonus and the waffle maker in the breakfast area is a treat. (laughs) This little phenomenon shows how powerfully expectations structure our moods and emotions. None more so than the beautiful emotion of gratitude. Gratitude happens when some kindness exceeds expectations, when it's undeserved. Gratitude is a sort of laughter of the heart that comes about after some surprising kindness. And I've learned that contentment equals gratitude. But interestingly enough, gratitude equals contentment. When we're content, we're grateful for every little thing. And when we're grateful, we're content. You ever notice that? The two of them work in an ongoing cycle. They feed each other. Let me encourage you. Learn that lesson. Like, if today you're sitting here and you're like, what's my takeaway from today? If the main takeaway from today for you is that you find in your life you're restless all the time. 
You find in your life you're never you're never happy in the moment. You find in your life there's always anxiety about either the past or the future. You find in your life you're not able to really be happy with what you've got. You need that new SUV, that bigger home. You need that boat, that second, that third, that fourth car. You need to make this certain amount in your particular checkbook. And if your dreams and hopes and desires don't happen, you find yourself really, really struggling with not being happy, with worry, with fear, with anxiety. You have a problem with contentment, and you need to begin the process by repenting and saying to God, God, I recognize I'm looking at all the wrong stuff to be my fulfillment. Forgive me, cleanse me in the blood of Jesus, and teach me this lesson called contentment, because I don't want to live a life of discontentment. Amen. Number three, Christ will give us strength to do all we need to do. He'll give us strength to do all we need to do. Paul says, and we, we love this text, don't we? I can do everything. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Tattoo across the chest. I'm a boxer. I got it on my bicep. Right? We see it all the time in the world of sport. Football players. I can do. I just am expecting a guy to have a tattoo of it across his forehead. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But this text is not a t-shirt or a tattoo to proclaim to the world our ability in Christ to beat that other person down. Our ability to beat our opponent or succeed in business. It means that we have the power to endure suffering, live with little, or experience success, success and live with much without it taking us from Christ and His purpose. And this is really important. Because if you take the text within the context, which if you're trying to learn about the Bible, let me tell you something about the Bible right now. When you read the Bible, you must consider the text within the context. You can't just pick verses that are favorite verses and be like, that's my verse, that's coming for my life. That's not the way the Bible works. The Bible works within the larger story. So when you take a text of Scripture, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Look at what it says before and look at what it says after. And this is what Paul is saying. I've learned when I don't have nothing, and I've learned when I've got much, I can be content. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So if you wanted to put that in the context of a boxer, it would be I can lose and still get up and go on with my life and it doesn't crush me and ruin me through Christ who strengthens me. I can lose everything. I can lose my job. I can get fired at my job. And it doesn't completely destroy my life and send me into the toilet and make me feel like I need to quit life. If, if my church disappoints me or people disappoint me or ministries disappoint me or my job or my spouse disappoint me or people don't come through, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I don't just say, I'm done with that. Just saying. And there are two big tests in life, aren't there? I mean, there's many tests, but there's two big tests in life. The test, the great test of difficulty, lack, and failure, and the great test of ease, plenty, and success. Now, let's talk about the great test of difficulty, lack, and failure. Most of us in this room will deal with this test multiple times in life. Isn't it true? I jokingly told somebody years ago, I'm just waiting for the test of success. It hasn't come yet, but I'm waiting, right? But some people lose their faith in these tests. 
However, I've, I've noticed something over the years. Many people overcome and maintain amazing faith during this test, the test of difficulty, of lack, and of failure. So here's a question for you. Where does your mind and your heart go when life is hard? Do you look to Christ to be your strength? Do you fall on the rock and cry out? Or do you trust in your own wisdom and strength? Do you you look to yourself? Do you, you start trying to manipulate your world and your circumstances around you to make them do what you want them to do? Or do you turn to God and say, God, something in my own heart is wanting to go everywhere else, but I'm going to you, I'm running to you. See, Paul's saying when he had nothing, when he lost everything, he turned to Christ, and Christ was his strength. Amen. Or the great test of ease, plenty, and success. This test is often the hardest test of them all. Many, 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 many observation as a pastor lose their faith or become lukewarm and complacent when success comes. The Bible often records that people within its pages could not endure ease, could not endure plenty, could not endure success. God gave Solomon everything a man could ever supposedly want. Maybe the wealthiest man ever, at least among them. He had his pick of whatever he wanted, every pleasure of the eye, every pleasure of of the touch, every pleasure of appetite, whatever it was, sexual, whatever he wanted, every pleasure of beauty, every pleasure of creation, animals, zoology, botany, he studied everything. He wrote thousands and thousands of proverbs and songs. This guy was brilliant and he came to write the book of Ecclesiastes. Have you ever read the book of Ecclesiastes? You need to read it. Some people are like, I don't want to read that thing. It's depressing. That's exactly why you need to read it. I'm serious. Because in that book, he's like, you know, I've done this and I've done that and I've learned this and I've learned that and I've had all this and I've read all these books and I've had every pleasure a person could ever want. And you know what? It's all spitting in the wind. None of it means anything. It's empty. It's void. It's meaningless. And here's what happened to him. He turned from God and he worshiped idols And he came to the end of his life, and his heart was crushed, and because of his own sin, the nation divided in two, and all kinds of things followed the generations to come, because he was an idolater who turned from God, and God gave him everything. Some people are like, you know, if God would just give me a million dollars, I'd help you build that church. I've had people say, "God, you know, if the Lord just blessed me a lot of money, I'd help you build that church. And I want to say, don't take this personally, okay, but I want to say, well, maybe you need to, I want to (laughs) say, what are you doing with what you got right now? What are you doing with what? Don't tell me what you're going to do if you get wealthy. Listen, if you can't be trusted with a dime, you can't be trusted with 10 million dimes. It's true. That's the way it works. Stewardship begins with what we have, not with what we might have. And that's life in general. Everything, your time, your talents, your treasures, all of it begins with where you're at right now. Paul is showing us that he can do all things, including having plenty and success through Christ who strengthens him. It's so easy to become indulgent and to love luxury, ease, and good things at the expense of caring for others, prayer, giving, etc. It's one of the reasons, this is sad, it's one of the reasons that survey after survey conclude that the well-off and wealthy actually give less of their income by percentage than the lower middle income people in our nation. Did you know that? Here's here's what studies show, and and that might not be you. You might be the exception to the rule, but here's what studies show. Studies show that the more money people get, the less they give percentage-wise. You know why? Because the more money you get, the more stuff you could buy, right? 
We, we, don't, we don't realize many times that that thing is choking the heart and it's robbing from us. I remember years ago I heard the story of a man from Africa from Portland Bible College. He was going to Portland Bible College there and he finished his degree program and one of his fellow students that had walked with him asked him the question. They're like, are you going to go back to Africa? I mean, man, you're here in the States. You could stay. You could really make it here in the States. Are you going to go back to Africa? And the guy said, oh, yeah, I can't, I can't wait to go back to Africa. And he said, well, why? He's going to a very poor nation. I think it was Kenya. I'm not sure. So why, why do you want to go back? He said, oh, man, it's so hard to serve God in the U.S. Land of the free, home of the brave, religious freedom. And yet, a lot of times here in the States, you don't see the fire in people, the passion in people that you see in other places. When you ain't got nothing but Jesus, you can get pretty passionate for Him. When you're counting on Him to help you eat next week, when your family's sick and you can't just go use your medical insurance, but you got to be like, if Jesus don't heal us, I don't know what to do. I'm going to fast and pray until I get a miracle. But we don't do that. We find the easy way out because we have so many props. We have so many things that make life easy. And this is what he said. He said, America has so many idols. You know, he said, you guys think in Africa we worship idols. You worship more idols in the States than any place I've ever been. Everywhere there are idols. There are gods stealing your heart everywhere, taking your passion, taking things away from you where you could be completely committed to Jesus Christ. So here's the thing. Many of you in this room, you're like, you're praying to succeed, you're praying to prosper, you want to do well. Let me just tell you, start to assess even right now, where is your heart at? Can you handle it? If you're given much, can you handle it? Will you be faithful with it? Will you remember who it belongs to? Sometimes people get a little bit of money and they think it's theirs. And can I just remind you, nothing you own belongs to you. It's all the Lord's. Your very breath is the Lord's. People say, it's mine. No, it's not. Mine is a word we need to banish from the English language. There's nothing that's mine. There's nothing that's yours. And in the kingdom of God, we don't have rights. We belong to another who purchased us with his own blood. Not silver or gold, but the precious blood of the Lamb. We belong to another people. That's what a disciple is. What do you say, Master? I follow. Wherever you go, I go. Where you lead, I will follow. What you feed, I will swallow. Tell me, Jesus. I'm going. That's the life of a disciple. Proverbs 38 and 9. This is a good prayer. I prayed this one before. Some of you might know this one. First, help me never to tell a lie. Second, give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. For if I grow rich, I may deny you and say, who is the Lord? And if I'm poor, I may steal and thus insult God's holy name. Sometimes it might be just good in our life, instead of always praying for more, it might be good to say, Lord, um, I think that uh, just give me what we need and a little bit more so we can help people, and I'll be good with that. And then if he gives you a lot more, that means he trusts you. So be careful with the test of success. Is this talking to anybody? And then I love it. You know, he ends it by saying, I can do all things through Christ. And that's what he brings it to. What I'm saying to you None of us can endure. We cannot endure the test of little and suffering, and we cannot endure the test of plenty and success without Christ strengthening us from the inside out. Amen? But He will. And the last point is this. God will reward those who give to support His purpose. 
God will reward those who give to support his purpose. Paul says to them, he says, I don't say this because I want a gift from you. Rather, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. I have all I need. And then in verse 19, and this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. I've heard it said here many times, and I agree with this, that we don't give to get. And that's true. We don't give to get. But let me tell you something I've learned and I've seen, and it's all through the Scripture. If you give regularly and faithful to people, circumstances, the poor, to God's kingdom, to God's purposes, if you give regularly and faithfully, you will get. But it won't be for you. God will go, whoa, I found a pipeline. I found a resource person. I found someone I can trust with my stuff. So I'm going to make sure that I start bringing them things and I bring them all that they need but more so that others and my purposes and the kingdom may be financed and resourced. So if you find yourself all of a sudden coming into windfalls on the left and the right, stop before you decide you're going to do this project and that project and you're going to go here for vacation and do all that. And I'm not saying you can't enjoy some of it, but stop and remember who it belongs to and say, God, what do you want me to do with it? Paul says to him, he makes it clear that he wants a reward for him. And here are the rewards that he lays out in the scripture. First of all, the first reward is commendation and recognition. Paul says, you're the best giving church out there. No other church is supported. You're the best. I praise you, Philippian church. Second reward is this, the satisfaction of knowing that your giving made a difference in, in his life, Paul's life, and the spread of the gospel. Let me tell you something, even if you never receive more financial blessing back, if you know that your giving helped someone in poverty, if you know that your giving helped a child on the mission field be able to get their education or get medical help that they needed, if you know that what you did right here at Grace Harvest Church helped us minister to our community, helped take care of our pastors and our staff, helped reach Moses Lake in a greater way, if you know that, that satisfaction alone should be enough for you to go, woo! Right? And thirdly, he knows that God will supply their needs because he supplied his. They, he, God supplied Paul's needs. I've observed throughout my life as a follower of Jesus that people who give regularly, faithfully, and joyfully toward God's purposes always have their needs met. I said needs. They often have unexplained windfalls that make it possible to enjoy God's gifts and help others in need. I've observed also, I'm just saying this, and by the way, this isn't an offering message. So for those of you who are starting to get kind of tight out there, like, uh-oh, here it comes. He's going to receive an offering. I'm not. I'm not. So just relax. But I've also noticed something, that people that don't give and never learn to trust God with their money, people that don't develop the habit and the faithfulness of setting aside a portion of God's income to give back to Him through church and other ways, people like that, I've noticed over the years, I'm just going to say it straight out, they are constantly struggling financially. Now, there's, there's always an exception to the rule. But most of the time, I see it. I mean, I, like one of the first questions I want to ask, I don't, but one of the first questions I want to ask when you have a person who's a repeat person who's continually seeking more help, is what are you doing with what you got when it comes to giving a portion of it away? You don't understand how tight we are. You don't understand how little we have. You don't understand the people I've seen all over the world that have a hundredth of what you have, and they give. 
Sometimes they don't even know where their next meal is coming from, and they give. So it's just something I've noticed. Let me tell you something. If you learn to trust God, if you learn to give obediently and joyfully and faithfully and regularly, you will see in your life, it might take time, but you will see in your life the faithfulness of God to care for your every need and provide for everything that you you need to do for His purpose. And you'll begin to notice, wow, that came out of nowhere. Wow, we didn't expect that tax break. Wow, we got a refund on a purchase we made. Wow, money will come to you from sources you never expected. And you'll say, wow, God is good. God is faithful. Amen? Praise the Lord. Why don't you stand with me?